We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to A Taste of Romamu, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Romamu, please visit romumu.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Chag Sameach, everyone. So, um, our Torah portion today is from Leviticus chapter 23. And it says a very strange line there. It says, You shall live in Sukkot, in booths, for seven days. All the citizens of Israel shall live in Sukkot, in order that the future generations may know that I made the Israelites live in Sukkot when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I, the Eternal, am your God. Seems pretty simple, right, on the outset. Why do we live in Sukkot? Uh, Why do we have Sukkot for seven days, and what do we do during it? We live in Sukkot because that's what we did when we left Egypt, right? The interesting thing is that there's absolutely no mention of us living in Sukkot while we were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Right? So this confuses the rabbis. We have lots of things that are mentioned about our exodus. We, we know numbers. We know places. We know, actually, there is a place called Sukkot. In, uh, in Genesis 33, it says Jacob journeyed to Sukkot and built a house there and made booths for his cattle. Therefore, the name of this place is called Sukkot. So there's a place name called Sukkot, which was actually, according to Exodus 12, one, uh, like the second or third stop as we left Egypt. But that doesn't answer the question either, right? So a place name of a place called Sukkot doesn't explain why we live in booths for seven days every year. We don't recall recall Ramses, which was our first stop, or the next stop, uh, right, like on the way out of Egypt. It seems like there are missing, there's a missing account of Sukkot. So obviously the rabbis notice this. In the Talmud and uh, Sukkot, in uh, Sukkah 11b, it says, It is taught that the Sukkot that Israel dwelt in when they left Egypt, according to Rabbi Elazar, were clouds of glory. Right? That there were these magical clouds. Right? During the daytime, they were clouds at night. What were they? Anyone remember? Pillars of fire. Um, maybe one pillar, maybe one a cloud, maybe multiple clouds, right? Uh, in the narrative, there's just one of them. That we left, when we left Egypt, there were, we were protected by this cloud. Um, and Rabbi Akiva always to argue says, no, no, no. There were booths that we built at every time we stopped along the trip. We just don't have physical mention of them, right? So this is a classic Talmudic argument about our Torah portion right here, what do we do with the fact that there weren't real, that we have no mention of physical Sukkot at any time during the Exodus narrative? So there are some people who pick one. So like the Shulchan Aruch says, it was the clouds of glory. 
And the Aruch HaShulchan say, says, which is the two later halachic works, says, no, 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 it, it was, they were real booths. We, 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 we dwell in a sukkah because it reminds us of the, our Exodus tradition. So, some, so sometimes we explain Sukkot by picking one or picking the other. What I'm going to posit for you today, that do people know the practice of ushbizin, of welcoming spiritual guests into our sukkah? So we're going to look a little bit at the Zohar that that's based upon. And, um, and I'm going to argue that this is actually a way of bringing together these two answers. Okay, that it's somewhat a physical booth, and somewhat it's a, it's, it's a spiritual presence of God. So just a, a little bit more background. In Genesis Rabbah, in the Midrash, it says that um, when Abraham... At, right after he circumcised himself, uh, Abraham thought it would be a great idea to go out looking for guests to welcome into his, into his tent. And um, despite his recovery and his old age, so he's convinced, find, first he sends Eleazar, his servant, out to go look for, for, uh, for, for random wanderers around in the street, and he doesn't find any. So uh, some people think that, may, that Abraham said, like, maybe Eleazar didn't look hard enough. Maybe he was like, this is hot and schwitzy out here. I like, looked a little bit. I'm going to come back in. But, uh, but then Abraham himself gets up in the midst of his, like, traumatic recovery, and he goes out, and finally, in the heat of the day, he finds three angels, and he welcomes them into his house, he, uh, Gabriel, Michael, and Raphael, um, and God, as a reward, the Midrash says for Abraham, welcoming strangers create, uh, promises his descendants that when they are wandering in the wilderness, God's going to give us booths, or, or is going to give us clouds of glory to follow us wherever we go. Okay, so, so it's they're wrapped up with Abraham's story. They also seem to be wrapped up with Aaron, because when Aaron dies the cloud of glory disappears, the narrative says. There's three gifts that all these three siblings have that are associated. So Miriam, wherever Miriam goes, the well follows her while we're wandering in the wilderness. And after Miriam dies, the well disappears. Aaron uh, is, is, the, is the clouds, and, um, and Moses is the manna. The, the manna, it's the, the food that fell from heaven. The, it's a pun, by, by the way, if anyone didn't know this. Manna is called manna because the Hebrew word for what is ma. So manna, the, Talmud, the Torah says explicitly, is like this food fell from heaven, and people were like, what's that? So they called it manna. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so um, we have these clouds that are associated both with Aaron and with Abraham. That have uh, that follow us when we're wandering in the wilderness, and there's a um, this beautiful Zohar. It's in it's in the three Zohar uh, three one hundred and three two. I mean, Elazar opens with a verse and he quotes from Song of Songs, which is all just about love. And in the eyes of of the uh, the rabbis, it's about love between God and humanity. Rabbi Elazar opens with a verse and he says, "I remember the love of your youth." How as a bride you loved me and followed me through the desert, through a land not shown. And he goes on to describe how this bride, uh, this, this, this lover dance in the wilderness is actually what happened with the clouds of glory. The clouds of glory themselves were like God's 
chuppah with us, that we kind of um, danced with God or got married to God or somehow had this like deep, intimate, both like protective and encountering experience that happened while we were wandering in the wilderness for those 40 years. Um, and, um, and he has the idea, he says, come and imagine. Anyway, the Talmud, whenever it says, uh, it says, ta shma, come and hear. The Zohar is visual language, so it says, ta chaze, come and see, come and imagine. He says, the moment when a person sits down in her sukkah, which is called the shade of faith, the Shekhinah envelops her wings around her, and then Abraham and the five other tzaddikim, the other righteous people, come and dwell with them. So the Zohar, and this is Rabbi Elazar in the Zohar, is associating this feeling of wandering in the wilderness with the experience we have sitting in the physical shade of the sukkah, right? That where when we sit in the sukkah, it's like the intimacy, that, it reminds us of the intimacy we had with God when we were wandering in the wilderness, that there was like a, a face-to-face encounter that was unlike anything else. Um, and then Rabbah comes back and says, wait a minute, there are six of them, there should be seven of them, because it's the, there's, there's seven days of the week. He actually reads, it says, and this is our Torah portion, it says, you should dwell for six days, for seven days in the sukkah. And he says, not you should dwell for seven days in the sukkah, but you, colon, seven days. You, chesed, gavura, tiferet, netzachod, yesod, and malchut. The seven days of the week, all the different pieces of ourselves, which are, uh, which are also parts of God, all seven of them should come and dwell with us in the sukkah. That we're, we're welcoming each of the days of the week, which are the attributes of God, into the sukkah with us whenever we come and we dwell there. So there's a physical reminder of what it was like to be wandering in the wilderness, and it's associated with that spiritual clouds also, the clouds of glory. And by the way, there were six or seven clouds of glory as well. And we then finally, Rav Hamnuna Saba, this like elder kind of secretive rabbi who floats in and floats out of the Zohar. It says that there was actually, he had a tradition that when, it, when he walked into the sukkah, before he sat down, before, and before he fed all the guests, he would say, come eat uh, supernal gift, guests. Welcome Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, uh, and Joseph and, uh, and, uh, and David. Uh, there should be, uh, and Moses and Aaron and, uh, and Joseph and David. Come all of you seven patriarchs and come and dwell in the sukkah with us. Um, not, and he, and then he says an incredible thing. He says that when, that these, these attributes of God, these divine ancestors actually in some kind of spiritual way do show up for us in the sukkah. That if we invoke and we welcome our ancestors, then in one way or another that they show up. But, and this is amazing. Uh, uh, Rabbi Hamnuna Saba, the Zohar, says that the first thing that Abraham does when he's welcomed in is he w- looks to see if you have any strangers in the sukkah. If you are Abraham's ancestors, actually like welcomed any poor people, any travelers, any people along the path into the sukkah with you. And if they did... Abraham, followed by the other six Ushpizim, 
the uh, other six um, uh, ancestors that they all sit down and we somehow have this meal that's an act of communion with all of our ancestors. And of course, us progressives often not only are, I mean, the Zohar's not so progressive, but the later generations have added the Imahot. So we also welcome Sarah and Rachel, Rebecca and Leah and Miriam. And, and we actually have like lots of different versions of like which women we want to have in our sukkah. And some people welcome other people into the sukkah. But it's, um, but in the Zohar, it's, it's, it's unfortunately just men. Um, should be a, there's some alarcity we should like bring to this, like we should wake up. So, but the, here's the thing, Abraham looks around and if we don't have any visitors in our sukkah, if we haven't welcomed anyone, Abraham gets up and walks out, as does all the other ancestors. Because if we're not being Abraham's descendants, spiritual descendants, then Abraham doesn't want to eat with us. So, it's funny because usually like, like, uh, the first night of Sukkot, uh, like I had, I, I was on a sukkah on a roof of a building. And, and luckily there were some like other people in the building who wandered in. But it's really hard in like urban, like, it's hard to find random people to welcome into your sukkah. But if, if we don't feed strangers in our sukkah, the Zohar says, then these spiritual energies don't come. And the food that we give as charity, um, is actually food that gets eaten spiritually, right? The food physically gets eaten by the strangers, but spiritually it's consumed by, by the, it's, it's our way of invoking the ancestors. It's a beautiful way of making spiritual the act of giving tzedakah, right? Because on one hand, all you're doing physically is giving food to someone who needs it, someone who wouldn't have a meal without you. But on a spiritual level, what you're doing is you're, you're entering into the covenant, entering into the tradition of Abraham, such that you're actually invoking him. Because Abraham and Sarah welcome strangers, and when we do that, we are becoming those people. Right? Like, we're, we're embodying this mitzvah. And, uh, and later, it's amazing. The, uh, the, the, the Maimonides goes so far in the rules of holidays that he says when a person who eats and drinks in the celebration of the sukkah you're required to feed converts orphans widows and others who are destitute and poor in contrast a person who locks the gates of their courtyard and eats and drinks with his children and his wife again he's writing for men but we could say or husbands or who are partners or whatever without feeding the poor and is embittered and is not in that person is not rejoicing in the mitzvah this person is rejoicing in their gut. That if we're not welcoming people into the sukkah with us, then we're not doing the mitzvah of sukkot at all. So some people, right, if we live in places where we can't welcome um, actual strangers in that moment, there's a tradition of giving extra charity before sukkot. And if you haven't heard about it, give it during Chol Moed, give it tomorrow. Or if it's your practice, give it today. Um, that actually in various places, especially the Kabbalistically inspired books of Jewish law, the rules of tzedakah, of charity, follow the rules of Sukkot. Because point part of what it means to be having a sukkah, I mean, we have to have a door open. We have to have, we have to let new people in. We have to welcome each other. So, we're going to read from the Torah, and we're going to read this place 
We're going to read about welcoming the seven days into the sukkah. We're going to walk, and and the idea that we should dwell in a sukkah for seven days. But I want to invite you to come up. We're going to have a group aliyah for this first aliyah. And if you feel like you want to either extend yourself more to in charity to those who need it in the world, this, this aliyah is for you to actually have like an encounter with God through the charity that we give. Or if you want to think about it as internal, my, my, my teacher, Rabbi Arthur Green, always says you have to read this stuff also internally. That if there are parts of you that are orphaned, or there are parts of you that feel strange, or there are parts of you that you really try very hard to push away, um, we have to include those pieces of ourselves in, in our Sukkot as well. So those aliyahs for both of us. So external welcoming of strangers or internal welcoming of strangers. This alley has for you.